0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Joining me um, via Zoom from his home in the San Francisco area is my friend David Bingham. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Um, As you know, listeners, I try to give you a little overview of who you're going to hear from. And then I give my guests a chance to sort of add to that or correct that. But David and I are the same age. I am about six months older. So you're gonna listen to two 60-year-olds. Um <laughs> and I'm looking at David on the Zoom and he's got a great head of hair, and I have my hair left. So um, that's something that God blessed us both with, is we're not bald yet. Um David's gonna share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um and some of my guests are, you know. I call us both older, to be honest. We've lived six decades, but David's been on this road, obviously, for a long time. And I think these longer stories are sometimes helpful for younger people, for allies, for parents. David uh, will tell his story of growing up and being born in Utah, moving around, mostly growing up in Southern California. He does now live in San Francisco. He's a creative director and a brand visual design at Wells Fargo. He came out as gay in 1980, and that's really when he left the church. And then he, for the next, if I'm doing my math correctly, about 36 years was outside of the church until 2016. That's just six years ago where he um, connected with the church and is now an active member of the church, received the Melchizedek Priesthood, has been through the temple. And so... This is just going to be one of those stories where I'm really grateful for Dave. But David's going to be honest about difficult chapters in his life, um, addiction and needing to go through a 12-step process. And, and um, I think that will be helpful for all of us to know how to pull ourselves out of tough spots that we all may get into. And so, in some ways, David's the wounded healer, and he can help all of us um, because he's been in some difficult spots in his life. Is that okay for an introduction, David?
1: That's wonderful.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So we prayed before we started this podcast, listeners, and I just was so grateful that David's alive. There's a lot of good people that were born roughly at David's age um, that we've lost. And you probably could tell us a lot of your friends that we've lost. That's right. And um, maybe you speak for them in some ways and those that we have lost that you're here. And can tell your story, which I think honors all of those people that perhaps that some of those that we've lost. So, with that, I'll just kind of let you um, start. Go ahead, David.
1: Fantastic, thank you. Um, well, I just want to say that I'm telling my story. I don't speak for anybody else or any organization. And through my story, I'm going to use the term "gay" for myself, uh, which I'm just going to use as shorthand for LGBTQIA plus. Um, so just with that context, you know, I, I just want to also say that the events in my story are not linear. Things were happening simultaneously. Um, but there were three me- meaningful events that happened for me that kind of happened at the same time. There was a consistent thought that kept coming to my mind. There was an unexpected blessing, and then I received messages from a stranger. So In order to tell my story of uh, returning to the church, I kind of want to set the stage with how I came out and um, take it from that point. So as a young kid, I always felt different, you know, different from other boys, different from other kids when I was growing up, didn't feel like I really fit in and everywhere. So when I attended BYU my freshman year, it was the first time I was away from home and had a little bit of freedom and agency living there on campus. And I started realizing that I had feelings for guys and started understanding why I felt different and my different feelings. Um, So I started talking to friends and people that were around me in some of my classes and Asked them, you know, what I should do about it. And they suggested, well, you should talk to your bishop. Um, I went to my bishop. I wasn't really that active with my uh, ward on campus at that time. Um, So I went and spoke to my bishop. But This was pretty much the first interaction I had had with him. I didn't really know him. And after talking to him, you know, he gave me some suggestions. And I was wrestling with how to change my thinking and one of the uh, suggestions he had was that I wear a rubber band around my wrist. And every time I had a thought of another guy or had feelings toward a guy, I would snap the rubber band and it would help reprogram my thinking. So what I took from that is that I heard or what I understood was that I wasn't okay with who I was. You know, I was I was being instructed to change who I was at that time. So, I, you know, like a good rule follower, I took my rubber band and was snapping away. So, after a few months of this, and with a wrist that was so red and sore because of the frequency that I was using my rubber band, I decided that it was a telling sign. It was a a turning point and decision point for me to leave the church. So, three factors that I considered when I was deciding whether to stay or leave was one was that I wasn't being honest or true to myself at that moment. I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't and I needed to find out who I really was. Um, I also felt like I was being ostracized and was being told I was an abomination, um, which was what the church was teaching at the time. And I felt rejected and, you know, Othered from the church. Um, and then the third factor was I w- would soon be turning 19. And I didn't really have pressure to go on a mission, but there was an expectation. Both my parents were returned missionaries. Um, so I had this huge fear of going on a mission and fearing that I would be attracted to my companions and then I would be f- found out with my feelings. So those were the three things that helped me choose to leave the church at that time, um, which I consider the time that I fully embraced being a gay man, and which I found ironic that I came out at BYU in a Mormon environment. So, <laughs> um, so while I was away from the church, um, I... Had an opportunity to really fully embrace gay culture, room to explore who I was, room to explore how to live differently outside of the church. Um, I really learned to love who I am and get to know me as opposed to trying to follow expectations or or certain rules. Um, During that time away, I really made some meaningful friendships, really deep, lasting friendships. and. I was able to embrace parts of me that were, you know, at the time, culturally unacceptable. You know, I was able to um, express my love, be a little bit more uh, creative, you know, embrace those parts of me that were considered non-masculine. Uh, so I got deep into the party scene over time and, you know, found was looking for I guess acceptance and connection, and I think I was looking in the wrong places. Right, it was the thing to do in the gay culture: is go to the party scene. Um, but because of that, I ended up having a substance addiction. And over a course of a few years, I found that that was one of the lowest points in my life. I became paranoid. I felt like I had a false community. Um, there was a lot of infidelity. And I fell into a deep depression. Um, I re- distinctly remember one time after a long weekend, <clears throat> laying on my couch for the day, called in sick from work and just really feeling the depths of despair. And I really felt at that time that that was really what hell felt like. Um, so that was really, I felt very strongly guided and prompted to change things at that point. And I feel even you know, looking back now on that time, even then I felt I was guided by the Holy ghost. I really felt strong guidance without any question what I should be doing and the next steps I should take in my life. So at that point I decided I was put, going to put myself in recovery and Pretty much made a promise to myself that I was going to change and um, put that lifestyle behind me, or at least the party scene lifestyle behind me and, you know, get in recovery. So um, now fast forward to a few years ago. um, I was going through another very low period in my life. I. Have, because I had left the party scene, I'd lost a lot of friendships or ended a lot of them because I didn't really have much in common with those people anymore. And I felt I was feeling very lonely. I didn't really have that many connections at that time. At the same time, I lost my job of 10 years because it was eliminated. And I was caught una- you know, unaware or surprised. Because I didn't really, at that point, didn't really have a network going, didn't really hadn't brushed up on my skills for a job search or looking for a new job. So I was really caught off guard. Um, And on top of that, my 27-year relationship was being destroyed over a decade of addiction on his side. And there was a lot of hostility and abuse and conflict happening in my home because of it. A lot of irrationality and just a lot of upheaval. Um, so those were the things that were really difficult for me to, to live through um, as I was trying to make changes. So at that time, I was attending Al-Anon meetings because of my um, partner's Addiction, And i have been going for quite a few years and I'd slowly started learning what their 12 uh, step program taught, which was, you know, my first step back toward a spiritual practice after I'd left the church. Um, some of the things that the program taught was to turn my will over to God. Um, one is to pay it forward and help other people in the program. Um, Another is to meditate and then also to pray to my higher power, whatever I decided my higher power was. And since I didn't have anything else, I started praying in the name of Jesus Christ as I was taught when I was young and in the church. And now I see the parallels with those teachings in the 12-step program with the teachings of the church and how much they... Are similar. Um, so now I'll start talking about how I came back to the church, or I'll call it my coming in instead of my coming out. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so in 2015, like I mentioned earlier, there were three simultaneous events that started happening in my life. Um. I re- distinctly remember one day I was driving through the city and I remember the first time this thought popped into my head and it was, you should check out what's going on with the church. And it really caught me by surprise because I haven't given the church much thought in years or even considered anything that was going on with it. Um, so I pushed it aside, didn't think much of it. And then, you know, I was going about my life. I was surprised that it continued to come up again and again in my head. And it was that exact same phrase. You should check out what's going on with the church. So over a little bit of time, it began to stick with me. And I started to get a little bit curious about it. Like, why is that popping up? And what what does that all mean? So around the same time, I started getting emails from my local ward Just out of the blue, I hadn't been in contact with the church and that ward uh, for over 21 years since I lived in San Francisco. So it was just pretty surprising how all of a sudden I started getting these emails from the high priest group leader um, who was inviting me to events and was requesting my contact information. So I would read them and just ignore them and brush them aside and not think much of them. Until after a while, I decided, well, I'm going to test the waters here and and see what's going on. And so I responded to one of the emails and just said, hey, I'm gay and I don't think I really feel welcome in the church, um, you know, because of what of the teachings of the church when I left the church. So um, Mark, who is the high priest group leader continued to befriend me regardless of what I had shared with him, which I found very impressive. I like really made a difference to me that he was still willing to keep in touch with me, even though I felt like I didn't belong. Um, Which is in contrast to uh, a similar experience I had, you know, a few months earlier where I received a phone call from a different ward in in the, um, in the city. And they were asking, you know, if I'd be interested in coming to church and getting contact information, but I explained to them the same thing. I said, you know, I I'm, I'm gay man and I don't really feel like I'm welcome back at the church. And I, the conversation just kind of ended right there. He said, okay. And then he just kind of hung up and never really contacted me again, which was the complete Opposite, And I felt rejected and welcomed and really, you know, different experience altogether from the experience I had with Mark. So the third event that happened on my journey was that I visited my brother and my sister-in-law, Rick and Michelle. Um, I was highly anxious from having just lost my job. And so I remember taking a ride with my brother and asked for his advice about how to look for a job and what I should do. And he related a a previous experience of his and one of his job search and how he felt the Holy Ghost in that process and how the Holy Ghost helped guide him, even though it didn't seem like it was going well. So that really impressed me. And 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 landed with me, but I also felt like that experience and guidance by the Holy Ghost wasn't available to me since I wasn't in the church, I wasn't practicing its teachings, I wasn't in, you know, full standing, good standing. So I felt like, okay, that's great, but that's, I'm not going to be able to take advantage of that. So I enjoyed my visit with them and was getting ready to leave, leave and saying my goodbyes. Then all of a sudden I just blurted out, will you please give me a blessing? Which shocked me. I have no idea where those words came from. I hadn't thought about blessings in years and I, to be honest, I completely forgot the existence of them. So for me to say that was I don't know where that came from or even if it was me speaking. Wow. <laughs> So um, he was happy to oblige and he bestowed a blessing on me with his wife, Michelle, there as a witness. And...
0: Sorry. And during that
1: experience, I was so overcome with the spirit of comfort and love. My heart was so full And I had uncontrollable tears coming down my face. And that was a really significant event in my journey back. I was, I'm forever grateful for the peace and comfort I received in that moment because of the priesthood and the blessings that it gave me. So what happened next after these three initial events that happened? So Um, I was attending an Al-Anon meeting and a friend of mine there started talking to me and told me, oh, there's a a guy that goes to these meetings who's a Mormon, and which I found that can't be right. He must have something wrong because this is a gay meeting and how can he be Mormon and gay at the same time? That's just impossible, right? So I decided to reach out to this quote unquote Mormon, who I'll call Mike, to have a chat and kind of, Get the down low from his mouth personally. So we met and I learned he was openly gay and an active member of the church and who at one time had an act of calling in his ward. So I was blown away and just so shocked and surprised that that was even possible. Because it again, like I said, it was a far crying contrast from when I left the church, which was about you know, being an abomination and that, you know, there was... fear of being excommunicated if identified as gay. So at the end of our chat, he invited me to attend this ongoing LDS LGBTQIA plus community fireside called the Hearth in the Bay Area. And, you know, of course, I was nervous to go, but I hesitantly agreed. So when, you know, as as the time was drawing near, I sat there and vacillated whether I would go or not. I was definitely nervous about it. It would be the first time I'd be in a church setting in decades. And the only person I would know there would be Mike. So I ended up deciding to go and drove a bit to get there. And once I arrived just before the meeting started, um, I got a text from Mike saying he wouldn't be able to make it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So I panicked, of course. <laughs> Do I stay? Do I go? The meeting was just about to start. So I decided I'll just stay and, and hear what they have to say. So I sat in the back to be as inconspicuous as possible. And usually in situations like that after meetings, end, I usually run out as fast as I can. So I don't have to talk to anybody, um, but I was alone and uncomfortable. But this time I decided to say, because to stay because it's like, I mean, who could pass up all those tempting homemade desserts, right? So I'm wandering after the meeting alone and this lovely woman came up to me named Camla and introduced herself and her friend, Amy. So I t- learned that Kamla was a member of the Sunset Ward, which we discovered I would be part of the Sunset Ward as well. And her friend, Amy, was the girlfriend of her best friend, Ruth. So we decided to exchange numbers and um, Kamala answered questions I had, you know, about the meeting and volunteered to answer any other questions I might have after, you know, after we exchanged numbers. So, um, and then around the same time frame, you know, going back to the emails that I'm getting from Mark, the high priest group leader, Um, I decided to reply again to him because of this continuing thought about, you should check out what's going on with the church. So I emailed Mark and asked him if there was anybody that I could contact to talk to about, you know, what the church policies and practices were and what their views are about gay members. So I got the number of the bishop for the Sunset Ward and scheduled a meeting with them. So my first meeting with the Bishop A.J. was very nerve wracking and foreignly familiar. Um, When I met with him, I was surprised at how young he was. Um, But I had lots of questions about, you know, the church views on gay and being a member of the church as a gay man and was trying to learn what had changed over the time I was away. Um, AJ was kind and warm and factual. He gave me information without interpretation or judgment, which really impressed me, really stood out to me because he was being very clear and supportive at the same time. Um, I'm just grateful for the way that our conversation went because it gave me the space to ponder and think it through, and work it out, and grasp it in my mind without any, uh, I guess, leading or guidance or or interpretation. I, I was able to figure it out on my own. Um, so after the meeting, you know, I we set up a second meeting a week later, and I gave it a lot of thought, trying to put two and two together and how to rectify the different information I had received during the week. I had struggled with these seemingly these things that felt like in opposition to one another. You know, the church welcomes gay members, but not supportive of gay marriage or fully supporting gay lifestyle. And so I was trying to understand, well, that means that, and then it means this as well. So I, like I said, I was trying to figure out how those two worlds intersected, so to speak. So when I met with AJ again, he kindly confirmed my understanding was like, well, if I come back to the church, I can, you know, be welcomed as a gay man, but that means that I won't be able to get married as a gay man to another man and so forth. And, and so he confirmed all my understanding, uh, what my understanding was and During that second meeting with him, I experienced a very strong and positive, warm feeling within me. And again, this was another time where I was really overcome with emotion of love and a confirmation and peace in my heart. And I, again, had tears streaming down my face. Um, I'll always be grateful to AJ for that moment, for pointing out to me how strong the spirit was in the room because it was so foreign to me. And it was a great lesson for me to identify what the spirit was and what it felt like for me. Um, And again, this is is another really significant and treasured experience in my journey back to the church. It was a very key turning point or almost my conversion, I would say, which has given me the foundation of my testimony Really feeling that, really feeling that confirmation and
0: love and strong guidance, I guess I would say, of the Spirit.
1: So I have no doubt that I was being put on the right path, that I was guided, and that my mind was opening to an understanding. And I committed to renewing my baptismal covenants um, at that time. And it was my decision. I was not asked to come back. I was not asked to renew. I was just supported and loved in that environment. Um, And I understood what coming back meant at that moment, the things I would need to commit to, the things I would need to give up. And I was looking for that continued feeling of peace and love in my life that I was starting to experience in these um, conversations and events that were happening. So at that time, I also committed to myself that coming back to the church, I would not hide myself any longer. I would live as an openly gay man in the church. And I also committed to myself that I would be led by my feelings, by the spirit. And not, you know, take cultural things or things that are, you know, interpreted for me as strongly as I would by the Spirit. So my journey then at that point became a slow reintegration, reintegration back into the church. Um, There were quite a few things that I needed to start changing: word of wisdom, chastity my language and and so forth and i began having missionary meetings um, and started attending sacrament meeting online i remember going to my first sacrament meeting and called Camla up to ask her if she'd be there to meet me and be by my side which was such a great comfort um because going to a room full of strangers was very terrifying for me at the, at the time. And she was so kind to answer questions as I was sitting there in the meeting. And after the meeting, she was so kind and generous to introduce me to a bunch of people who have all become my uh, fast friends, you know? So during my attendance at these sacrament meetings for the first while, Know, nine months to a year, I felt like every talk was specifically directed at me. Um, I felt like I was having the talks were personally being delivered for me. I remember two that specifically have stuck with me since then, and there was a recurring message in, in several talks that kept reiterating, "You are a pioneer." And I found that to be very true for me. It landed in my heart that I felt like I was kind of, you know, coming back in a new, different way. And, you know, at that time, I didn't really find many other gay people in the church at all. You know, I was there not breaking new ground, but I just felt like I was on the forefront of something. Um, Another talk that really stuck in my heart was a message that was, you're in the right place. And I remember distinctly the speaker reiterating this phrase over and over and looking at me directly and saying, you're in the right place. And that hit me so hard and stuck with me so much that I couldn't deny that. That was a message delivered specifically for me. So, for the first year of attending sacrament meetings, I think my allergies were really acting up horribly because tears would be streaming down my face only at nine o'clock on Sundays. <laughs> um, but I really felt the love and care of my Heavenly Father while I was there. And so, over the, the next while, the next year, I slowly integrated and attending other meetings and continued making changes to my life. So where I'm at today is that I now feel I have that peace and joy in my life that was missing for so long that I feel like I was searching for in other ways, Um, through relationships, through, you know, socializing, through the party scene. Um, I belong now to a loving ward family, and I have a reliable and supportive community. Um, I have been able to continue on the covenant path, receiving Melchizedek Priesthood and my endowment, and had my baptismal covenants renewed. Um, I'm privileged to serve in ward callings, and I'm learning to minister, which goes back to some of the teachings I learned in Elanam, right, to pay it forward. And, you know, through this, after coming back, I thought I would be celibate, you know, that I would have to have no romance. And I had given up this idea of dating because I thought, well, what's the point if, you know, if I'm dating, that's not going to take me anywhere, you know, to marriage or have any future. So I just really wasn't pursuing it and decided it really wasn't going to be happening for me. Well, I'm happy to say that I'm currently dating a wonderful man who's a devout member of the church. It was a very unexpected meeting. I wasn't looking for a date. I wasn't looking for romance, but it showed up in my life. And I consider it a dear blessing. And I consider it divinely led because, you know, even though I wasn't searching for it and had kind of given it up, I was praying that hopefully one day I might be able to have a companion in my life, a male companion, I should say. <laughs> um, so right now, my boyfriend and I were finding our path forward in the gospel together. We're committed to keeping our covenants, and I do feel like we're pioneers in uncharted ter- territory, uh, defining our journey in these two worlds that don't seem to overlap or intersect, you know, living as disciples of Christ and having a loving romantic gay partnership that brings me so much joy and happiness. I'm also blessed by him, you know, he is teaching me so much about living as a disciple of Christ and about centering my life on Christ every day and he's such a great example to me and helps me be a better man in that regard. So I feel like I'm also right now going through a continued process of coming out again. But this way, it's coming out to my gay friends as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So it's kind of ironic. (laughs) Um, So through this whole process, there's a few commitments that I've made to myself. which I'll go over here. So one is to listen to my feelings, as I stated before, my, my gut or the spirit. Um, it helps me with sitting in this unfamiliar gray area, which is new for me because I'm so used to having answers and knowing the, the right thing to do or how to move forward. You know, I, I wrestle sometimes with this idea of not hearing or understanding what the spirit has for me. But I've learned to sit in this gray area without having answers and just look for guidance. And when I don't have that guidance, I've learned to take action and use my agency and not be told what to do, knowing that I'll be guided and directed if I need that. I look at it as a partnership. I need to do my part as well as being guided. I've also committed to strive to define my own journey and not let others define it for me. So this idea that has been taught that acting on same sex attraction is a sin is not really something that I'm aligned to. I feel like I am living my life by the same doctrine given to my cisgender sisters and brothers, for example, remaining chaste before marriage. So I'm pursuing a life, uh, a full life to realize the same opportunities and blessings um, as my brothers and sisters and feel uninhibited to share my life with a man I love and doing so by attempting to center my life on Christ. So basically trying to look for my own path forward and how how to do that with the help of Christ and the spirit. And then another commitment I made is to be honest with who I am and not hide anymore. Um, since I hid for a long time growing up and after I had recently come out. So I'm so happy that we're now having open conversations in the church about sexuality and, um, and uh, the likes, because, I feel like when I left the church, it wasn't a topic that was being talked about much. It wasn't openly discussed. And I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing here, Richard, and being able to have these open conversations. And then another commitment I made is to be visible as a gay disciple of Christ in the church, which I'm hoping will help change perceptions of the gay stereotype. I'm not one who goes about um, trying to change minds with an agenda. I'm trying to just create these connections and relationships with people in the church to help change their hearts. Um, So I also thought I'd share a couple of things I've learned along along the way on this journey. I'm striving to extend love and kindness without judgment to every single person, to not judge others and their decisions and love them where they are, regardless of their choices or their agency, because that has meant the most to me. I was on the receiving end of that in my journey coming back. I really felt welcomed and accepted regardless of where I'd been. Um, I've learned that relationships and connections are the most important thing to me in life. I'm, I want to be here to support and help others. Um, and I really was, again, the recipient of that on my journey back to the church. There were so many people that helped me along the way. And now they're all very dear friends of mine. And then the power of prayer, I learned that the power of prayer is available to all. Even when I wasn't on the straight, narrow covenant path, I experienced firsthand that I can still receive guidance from the spirit and have my prayers heard regardless of where I am on my journey. So I just want to say that I'm so grateful for this continuing journey. Um, I had the opportunity to learn who I was temporarily and now I feel like I'm learning who I am spiritually
0: so thank you I'm just deeply moved by your story David brought me to thank tears you. a couple times and I'd probably try to do my best to speak to all for all these listeners that are listening they would love to reach out and just give you a hug and, <laughs> and tell you how much their story meant to them wherever they are, and the grace, the humility, the kindness, the insights, and the gospel that you've given us. I sort of feel responsibility to ask questions that you, the listeners, would like me to ask at this point. (laughs) Um, But let me just comment. Um, I, um, I love where you're honest about 1980 and stepping away from the church, and I believe the church teachings in those days were... To just identify as gay would be inconsistent with church teachings. Younger people right. may not recognize that the church separated identity and behavior at some point after 1980. And you didn't grow up into that world. So <clears throat> you, you identifying as gay and trying that rubber band thing for a while and just having this this wrist is just sort of, I under, sort of understand why you made the choices you made in 1980. Is that fair to, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's definitely correct. Yeah.
0: And then you've used the term openly gay. And and to me that I assume you're referring to orientation most of the time that this is who you are. You identify as openly gay and some listeners may quickly go to behavior, but I encourage us just to think about orientation. That you're identifying as openly gay and we shouldn't be thinking about behavior we should be thinking about orientation is that correct
1: that's exactly correct yeah i i my orientation is openly gay and my behaviors how i behave because of that i have agency over and those are decisions that i
0: make on my own but i identify as being a gay man And you probably don't have, age. I've never thought about this, but we've sort of taught it, is you really don't have agency over your orientation. That's Um, right. The rubber band thing is sort of under the conversion therapy umbrella that many were um, part of in your decade and even continuing later. um, That didn't make you straight. So in some ways, um, you know, you've been out of the church for 35 years, roughly, and and also, you know, got into some substance abuse. And it's, I think it's heroic. You got out of that. Do you feel this is just all wasted time? Or do you feel this has been part of your journey that if, that God would say, David, this is kind of, kind of new. you needed to walk this road and learn the lessons you're learning and not in a bad way, but just it's part of your mortal journey. And I'm really at peace of where you are and, and your past and, Repentance takes care of all the sin, but it shouldn't be sort of wiped out of your life and like a cassette tape cut and just spliced between 1980 and 2016 and that 35 years just not exist in your life. Any thoughts for our listeners about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Before I left the church, you know, I was doing everything I was supposed to, going to all my meetings, learning about the gospel and the doctrine but I just felt like I was just going through the motions. I didn't really feel like I had my own testimony. I didn't really completely understand what I was learning and what I was doing, I think. And so leaving the church and having those experiences, really getting to understand who I am as a person and not being this person that I was supposed to be quote unquote, right? Really, I think afforded me That grounding to really come into who I am. And then from there, then I've really been able to build my testimony from that point when I came back. I had all these great experiences that gave me a foundation to build my testimony on, which I don't think I would have had just continuing on the path that I had been on previously. And so it's really given me a real strong testimony of my beliefs and of the gospel and of jesus christ and i really have no doubts of that now that i'm back in the church
0: i love that and the older i get the more i just recognize that mortality is a chance to learn and perhaps it's more important to what we learn and what direction we move than given um the decisions we make in our life and how we respond to those to me this is You won't like hearing this because you're a pretty humble guy, but I think this is an incredible success story. Mm. I think this is a heroic story. Um, Where you were in 1980 and where the church was in 1980 and um, stepping away in a way that seemed practical and pragmatic given the realities where the church was and your identity, I think... And then just doing the best you could, and then getting into situations you recognize this isn't really where I want to be. I want to get out of the substance. I wanna I feel really depressed. And I hope our listeners caught that several times in your darkest moments, the Holy Ghost touched you. And and that blessing you received from your brother. And listeners, Dave and I just testify and promise that nothing we can do can take us outside of the reach of our heavenly parents or the Holy ghost, even when we feel we've gone so far and we're beyond their love. And I think that's Satan that wants to isolate us and keep us from feeling their love or feeling any possibility we could come back. Any more thoughts on that, David? It's such a beautiful part of your story.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Those, you know, I really, like I, I mentioned earlier, I really felt like, I wasn't worthy of of receiving any help or or guidance that I really wasn't even looking for spiritual guidance or connection um, to to Christ and but I do feel in those darkest moments there was just something inside of me that that guided me and directed me and it was just with it was just given with such conviction that I knew I had to act on it. And, you know, at the time, I didn't really realize what that was. But looking back on it, I can definitely say it was the guidance from the Holy Ghost because I've had similar experiences since and know what that is at this time. So and I don't think, you know, I would be the man I am today without going through those experiences. You know, like you said, I've I've really learned a lot going through that. And I've really learned about the availability of the Holy Ghost and God's mercy, no matter where we are.
0: I love that you're open to return. And um, I just, I recognize that where you, where the church was in 1980, there's trauma and pain around that experience and the reality of you being gay and Mormon in 1980. And I just admire your willingness to consider returning and the anxiety you must've felt walking into the hearth. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I've been to the hearth a couple of times and the shout out, you know, to all the people involved in the hearth, but what a key part it was for you to have that first time church experience and the safe people you met there. And Mike there was a principle about Mike and your elders and your high priest group leader. I think it's Mike that really, you know, that he was willing to engage with you and help you feel you were welcome and answer questions and continue to engage in you. Not just hear you were gay and out of the church and say, well, I'm done connecting with you. Cause I wonder how many people need sort of that ongoing, um, Non-agenda love is what I call it. Your bishop certainly extended that to you and others in your life that we will walk with you with this non-agenda love. We trust you enough that we are going to know that you'll know best how to go forward. We are just here to support, answer questions. And I sense you just felt that, especially from your bishop, this kind of non-agenda love, he's going to let you self-determine your best path forward and just the impact that was for you to feel that and that and responding to that. Do you want to talk more about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. That's exactly right. I just felt I was being seen as a person that I was being loved for who I was um, by these people. It wasn't, I didn't ever feel once that anybody had an agenda. It's like, Oh, I need to convert them or I need to make sure they, come back to church, it was more of a concern about who I was as an individual, as a human being, or for my well-being. And that friendship and concern and being seen in that way made all the difference to me because I felt like they really loved me as opposed to it being something they were trying to accomplish.
0: I'm just trying to imagine you walking into your bishop's office <laughs> um, in 2016, 35 years later, after probably that bishop in 1980 doing the best he could, you, you seemed to extend grace to him, and even though it was a difficult, painful experience for you, um... But I just wreck I would guess that your pulse rate was not at its resting pulse rate, whatever that is. As that door opened and you're about ready to walk into a bishop's office again, something I'm sure if I had talked to you in 2000, I s- said, David, do you think you'll ever walk into a Mormon bishop's office again? I think you would have said, no. <laughs> exactly. And just the courage that took, but it seems like just talk more. This is you talking to priesthood leaders. They just want to do what your bishop did and you've done a good job of this already but what advice would you give to them as somebody like you is walking into their office
1: I think it would be I think it would be just to you know see them as an individual as another human being and um yeah just welcome them with open arms in love and, and get to know them as a person and not as a label or as a stereotype or um, have any preconceived ideas because I, I just felt so welcomed there in my bishop's office. I got there, you know, we, he got to, he tried to get to know me who I was before we ever had conversation about the church. But what drove me was my curiosity, you know, where the church stance was and, and, he he was just so open and gave me space, I think, was what was important for me, right? To let me consider the facts and work things out on my own as opposed to helping interpreting things or guiding me toward a, a certain decision, which I so appreciated and respected him for that because... It was It's my journey. I felt like I needed to figure it out for myself.
0: Talk about, um, you've got a boyfriend, and I love the way you were just transparent with that. Um, <laughs> and it's somebody you're dating and you're um, keeping your covenants. Talk about, you know, some would listen to that part of the segment, say you're on the slippery slope to leaving the church or turning your back on your church or not honoring your covenants or... Um, what do you hope we would say to you as you open up that you're dating and that you have a boyfriend? What would you hope you'd hear from your LDS um, friends?
1: Um, Just how happy they are for me and how pleased they are that I have companionship and that I'm able to share my life with somebody and that I'm not alone.
0: That's a great answer. Um, I I just have learned to trust people. It seems like that's what people have been sharing with you is love and trust you. and Right. Um, and you've gone through this period where you've fully reconnected with the church, and I wouldn't say that's over. I don't think just because you have a companion that seems to bring your joy that that phase is over, that somehow now you've moved into a different phase. I would just... Extend to you grace and support. And I trust you, David. I'm not your bishop or in your ward, but I'm your friend. And I would say, David, I just trust you. You've you know David better than anybody. And I don't have personal revelation for you or for your best path forward. Um, you know a lot about you, you've been on this earth a long time, you know what it's like to be in the intersection of a Latter-day Saint and gay, and um I'll just trust you, and I'll support you, and I'll and I won't make you the. I say this on the podcast. I won't make you the hero one day, and and not the hero the next day. I'll just trust you. Are you okay with all that, or would you add anything to that? It's sort of helping people just extend grace to everybody where they are.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I I so appreciate those thoughts, and thank you for that. And yeah, I I think just. um, yeah, just extending human kindness, I think, to everybody, no matter where they are in their life and where they are in their journey. You know, I, I, I'm I grateful to have the trust um, of knowing what's best for me and knowing how to move forward in my life. And, and that's something I'm focused on is, is defining what that journey looks like for me. I know what my commitments are. I know the covenants I have. And I guess having that support from those around me means a lot to me and trusting me that I know how to make the best decisions to move forward toward the goals that I have.
0: I don't know if you and your boyfriend are in the same ward, um,
1: No, unfortunately not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you two walked um, into church together holding hands, how would you hope um, fellow Latter-day Saints treat you?
1: Uh, With love and respect. Um, There are times when I've been able to hold hold hands and put my arm around them in meetings and stuff. And in my ward is, you know, I've been very fortunate that it's been... Not
0: an issue at all. So, uh, listeners is kind of just, you know, sometimes where the tension can feel is how we treat people at the congregation level. And I just think, because I look at Christ's ministry, I think he would want everybody to feel welcome in a congregation um, and just feel a sense of belonging, a sense of um, you're welcome here, you're needed here, you've come to um feel of the spirit worship your god and we should do everything at the congregation level to help you feel like you're welcome and a feeling of belonging it should be a judgment free zone and um a zone full of love and support so
1: can i say one one please. thing in addition to that is that i i i feel that i have an opportunity to do what is right for me and express myself as any of my fellow sisters and brothers would, Um, as long as I'm keeping my covenants and keeping the principles of the gospel, living my life on the covenant path. And, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong by expressing my love for my boyfriend. I don't feel that's outside of those covenants and promises and living on the covenant path.
0: I support you on that. I appreciate you just clarifying that. And listeners, some you know bishops sort of interpret the law of chastity the same for straight people as gay people, and some kind of um, use the BYU honor code, no, which I can't. I'm paraphrasing, no manifestation of any romantic romantic behavior. And I don't think the handbook sort of clarifies that. So there, there's going to be some differences in how some bishops would respond in a situation and. I don't, I don't going to prescribe to bishops how to respond because that's not my job, but I would invite everybody to go by the Spirit and, and go slow and um, try to listen to people and try to understand the best way to support them as they're making way forward. Um, I had a question that came to mind. I forgot. (laughs) Um, Have you, you've been on this road a long time and you've maybe had a lot of conversations with God. Do you have any feelings about why you're gay? and why he created you as being gay. And if this is something that's always meant to be for you, or if this is something that went awry and, um, any thoughts just about, you know, why you're gay.
1: Yeah. I don't think it was something that went awry. <laughs> I definitely think I was meant to be this way. Um, and I'm very happy that I'm gay. Um, I'm very comfortable with who I am. I have no idea why. Um, but I do know that it's only one part of me. There are many other facets to me. And it's one thing that I allows me to be me and allows me to express myself more um, op- openly, I guess, or more creatively. I feel that I'm pretty in touch with certain aspects of my life or myself that I am able to express more freely because I'm gay or because I've become comfortable with being gay, maybe I should say. Um, But I am actually really happy that I've been made this way and that I've been blessed to be this way because it allows me to bless people in different ways, right? So, or help people or receive help from others.
0: Um, Great answer. What a terrific, I thought you might answer it that way, uh, but you answered a lot better than I thought you would. I wrote down word for word one thing you said there, David, it allows me to be me. And what a great thing that then that there's action within that, the things you listed you're able to do because you're you. And and um, as you know, our younger Latter-day Saints are getting to the point you are and have been for a while where they're at peace with who they are. or are glad they're who they are and don't look at this as a negative thing or something to be embarrassed about. It's a road. It's a journey for all of my guests, but you're in a great spot just with being completely at peace with who you are and that this is a good thing.
1: Yeah. I'm very fortunate. I I feel very fortunate. I'm at this point in my life.
0: Just say to people that want to use your story and, and in, and use it in a way for other people that are out of the church to come back to the church. What would you say to Anybody wants your use your story in that way?
1: Um, yeah, I think everybody's journey is different. And um, I think being open to the opportunities and the experiences that came my way made a huge difference in coming back. If I had kind of disregarded the things that were happening the messages that, that popped into my head the emails that were coming i don't know that i would be in the church today so it was you know i was a little resistant at first you know just kept putting things aside but um going with what your feelings are if it's sticking with you or is calling atten- your attention to it you know i say I'm grateful I remained open to it and explored it and then, and, you know it was a it was a journey what the, what the next step was was like okay, I'm going to see what this means and then what's the next step after that? I wasn't committing to the whole thing at once, but just remaining open and exploratory, I think was the best thing I did in, in coming back
0: great answer, and I love where at the beginning of the podcast you said this is my story. Um, that's right. one of the themes of the podcast. Listeners is I love all of these stories, and but you got to write your own story, and you got to take David's story and the principles and the insights and the person revelation, and use that to help you write your story. This is a podcast that's obviously supportive of the church, but we're also trying to support everybody's individual journeys and keep us together as the same human family. What would you say to younger people? We do a lot of podcasts with. Um, younger Latter day Saints, um, gay and lesbian Latter day Saints that are kind of faced with a fork in the road to stay celibate, to um, pursue a mixed orientation marriage, or to pursue a same sex marriage. What would any general advice you'd give to that group that's, you know, way back in their 20s and <laughs> sort of facing these forks in the road and trying to figure their best path forward?
1: Right, right. I think that thing that helped me most in my journey was listening to my heart. You know, I could sit, I could get in my head and worry about things and overcomplicate things and, and overthink things and trying to figure things out. But once I just got into my heart and tried to listen to that, I felt pretty clear what my next steps were. And so I would just encourage people to, to listen to their heart and where that's taking them.
0: It's a pretty simple, but very powerful answer. I love that answer. (laughs) Um, Are there other things that come to your mind as we've been talking you'd like to share with listeners?
1: Um, No, I just think, you know, extending that love and kindness to everybody is something that I'm trying to practice myself and was, was so important to me in my journey coming back. You know, just seeing me as I am and not having judgment, I guess, um, against where I was and what I was doing at the time. and so I think if we have more of that in our communities, in our environments, in the within the people we interact with, I think things would be so much better and so much. More positive all around us. So that's something I'm trying to practice and and put out there in the world myself.
0: And I keep having more questions. That was a good, I love that. Talk talk to your younger self when you're on the in the middle of that deepest depression. Um you mm-hmm. talked about the podcast. If you could now talk to that David Bingham in that spot, what would you say to that David Bingham? Um,
1: from this point, I would say you're on the right path. Listen to what your your heart's telling you. Where you, what you're thinking of doing and and changing your life is a good thing. It'll get you to a much better place.
0: Um, listeners, that's all the questions I have. I hoped I'd asked some of the questions in your mind. We've done a few podcasts. Every podcast is different. I hate to draw parallels, but there are. A Maybe it's 10 podcasts kind of in this category of somebody in their 50s, 60s that left the church, um, spent a a long period of time out of the church and reconnected with the church. And sometimes people like you, David, have this sort of two snapshots of the church, where the church was on this topic in 1980. And it sounds like you weren't too connected to the church, sort of keeping track of where the church was and then sort of reconnecting the church and, and seeing where the church had changed on a lot of things. And sometimes that perspective is helpful and, and realizing there wasn't really a place for you. And now there is a place for you. And it's possible listeners that in, you know, another period of time we'll look back on this year type and this time frame and say, well, we've certainly come a long way. I don't want to infer that um, doctrine or policy are going to change in that, but it could. I support our leaders, and I don't know Heavenly Father's will, but this is an area where I'm just open. President Nelson teaches it's an ongoing revelation. There's a process for that. It doesn't come through me. Um, It doesn't come through activism. It comes through our leaders. Um, But I'm open that we'll continue to improve the experience. We have certainly have learned that this is how you've come, David. You can't do anything to undo this. And so it seems like the responsibility is on us as members of the church to create a feeling of belonging, and a feeling that actually having you with us makes us better. It's not just that you feel welcome; it's actually that, as rugged, tenderhearted, having you with us, David, makes us better.
1: Great, yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think the. The more varied our, our membership is and the more diverse it is, the stronger and better we are as a family.
0: Wow, that's a powerful statement. I really agree. And you've heard me listeners talk about Zion. I've always kind of felt, because I grew up in a very homogeneous part of Salt Lake City where everybody was like me, I thought that was Zion. <laughs> it was great. I don't want to dismiss that experience, but Zion is just what you described. Our hearts are knit together as one with all of our beautiful diversity. And then we're better able to bear more in comfort and lift the hands of those that need to be lifted. And you have unique gifts and skills that I'm sure you've been doing for a long time. will continue to deal, lift the hands and hearts of those that are heavy, David. So um, I'm just deeply moved by your podcast, David, your good heart, tender spirit. Mm-hmm. Thank the you. The man you are, the life you've lived and the good you will continue to do. Any last thoughts? I'll give you the last word and I promise I won't ask any more questions.
1: (laughs) No, I think I've pretty much covered everything um, I wanted to share. So thank you.
0: Well, you did a remarkable job of covering four decades in an hour. So (laughs) you have a gift of, of communicating just the right level of detail to get through four decades. Because I think each of these decades could be an hour podcast. But listeners, thank you for joining us. This is David Bingham. And Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.